We are in part 35 of our Empowered series, walking through the book of Acts line by line. If you're watching online, I'm going to give you the fill in the blank here in a little bit. Make sure you fire up the app, take notes, hang out with us on there. And today's message is entitled, Power to Change Culture. Y'all are aware that Jesus was a bit of a troublemaker, yes? Yeah. He didn't always rub everybody the right way. Now, whether or not he did everything right and he did everything perfect, that still did not mean that everybody appreciated everything that he did. As a matter of fact, in a lot of ways, he changed how his culture saw stuff. As a matter of fact, I cannot imagine any more influential human being on the planet than Jesus Christ. But what's interesting is is if you begin to dig down and find out what did he do that was so different, you end up finding out that most all of his change was social change, relational partnerships, talking about how people interact with people, about how people think about the world. But if you go a little bit deeper, you begin to realize there's really four areas that he dialed in on that caused the most change. And I'm going to give those to you right now. If you're a note taker, write some of these down, something for you to think about a little bit later. These are four key ways that Jesus stirred things up. Number one, confronting religious leadership. Confronting religious leadership. Jesus tended to be pretty chill when it came to your average person. He was kind of training them about how life was. But when it came to the religious leaders who should have known better and were taking advantage of people, if they were teaching wrong things and they should have known the right way, Jesus kind of took off his gloves and went blow to blow. As a matter of fact, one day he decided to go into the temple and he had had enough of the whole changing money, gouging people, getting in the way of ministry, and he just throws the table over. Makes a whip, chases out the animals, chases out the people. There's chaos everywhere. He knows what he's doing. He's bringing change, saying this is not what my father's house is for. But he would do it like one-on-one, like Pharisees would come up to him and he was like, You're not doing the Sabbath right. You're putting extra responsibilities on my people and you're going to break them. This is not what I intended for them. And he would challenge them over and over and over and over. Religious authorities. Number two, write this down, casting demons. This is a spiritual authority issue. He disrupted what Satan had going on. God's always been in charge. Jesus has always been who he is however he came into town and was like enough is enough satan had a kind of a monopoly on messing with people and he said not anymore he came in demons started going man it used to be so much more peaceful before that jesus guy came here right because he started interrupting their ability to control started setting people free started casting demons started causing problems in the supernatural for the bad guys That's pretty incredible, but not everybody appreciated that. You guys remember one of the most famous stories is the naked demon guy story. You guys remember this dude? This is the dude that had so many demons in him, he spoke in the plural. You guys remember that? We are legion. Whoa, what the, that's weird, right? He would break chains because of his superhuman strength, because of possession. He would cut himself and live amongst the tombs, and he was crying out. This guy was so messed up. One encounter with Jesus 
and he is healed, freed, in his right mind, and ready to sign up to be a disciple. One shot. I mean, how powerful is that? And yet the region kicked him out, kicked Jesus out. We don't want your kind around here. You mean the kind that help? Is that what you not want? Like, it's weird. Like, why wouldn't you want that guy? Oh, no, we want our demon people. What are you talking about? Like, why would you want to remove Jesus from the area? Because it was weird, different, and they weren't in control of it. And that makes people very uncomfortable. So it was a lot of change. Number three, write this down, healing disease. Healing disease. You wouldn't normally think of healing as disruptive, but it depends on who you ask. Remember how many times Jesus would say this phrase, what do you want me to do for you? You're like, well, it's kind of obvious I'm missing a limb. And then he would say things like, do you want to be healed? Well, yeah, that's why I showed up. Why would he ask those questions? Because I wonder whether or not he was saying, are you sure you understand what you're taking on? Because as much as you believe that that is the very center of your problems, make no mistake, problems still follow you even after you get healed. You got to imagine you've been paralyzed for 35 years. People have taken care of you. There's no social services. There's the kindness of others. The guilt that they're caring for you all of a sudden eliminates the moment you're healed. Everybody just bails out of your life. Now you're lonely, you don't understand. They all say, hey, you need to get a job. You have no life skills. You have been paralyzed your entire life. How would you know what to do? No one's gonna hire you. There's no resume there. And we think about it, we're like, yeah, but they're healed. I get it, but how are they going to be able to operate? Can you imagine the jealousy that was created? I mean, it's rough, right? When this guy got healed and this person didn't. Well, you happen to show up on the right day and hang out with Jesus. Now suddenly you're walking, the other people aren't. You think that didn't cause animosity with people? You think that someone was like, man, I heard Jesus was in this area and by the time you got there, he was gone. That's hard. So it caused a lot of disruption, but ultimately it was a good thing. (sighs) Number four, write this down. Honoring the poor and oppressed. Honoring the poor and oppressed. This is a political and social disruption. Honoring the poor and oppressed. You see, things are the way they are in a society because people want them that way. And the people that want them that way are usually the people that are in power. And in general, it tends to be the wealthy tend to have more of the authority and the power. So therefore, everything is in its strata layer, and that's how people think things are. All of a sudden, you have Jesus walk in. He starts lifting up the nobility of children, lifting up the nobility of women. He starts turning everything upside down. He's allowing prostitutes to be seen in a different light of saying you can be redeemed, and if you touch a rabbi, it doesn't mean everything fell apart. I'm now talking to lepers and saying you can reintegrate with society through your healing. That upheaval caused all those who were in the status quo to freak out. A lot of adjustment, but was it good? Was it right? Yes. So question, this is where it makes it personal for us. Is the Christian church having impact in the world today? 
And is it the way that we're doing it, let's say here in America, is it good ways or bad ways? Really depends on which one, right? Depends on what you're looking at. Would you say that the reputation of the church out in public is getting better or worse? In so many ways, it's getting worse. I've never had so much of a challenge in all my years of ministry, now, now being a pastor about 30 years, I've never, never had such a hard time where I'm digging out from a hole in every conversation. Oh, you're a, you're a pastor. Automatically, I have to apologize for something just to even start the conversation, right? That didn't used to always be the case, but it's getting pretty rough out there. Why? Because a lot of things that are done in the name of Christianity are not very healthy. Most people in America would check the box, they're Christians. That doesn't mean they're Christians. It's a big difference between Christianity and churchianity, yeah? Yeah, churchianity is, hey, I'm gonna check that box, I'm gonna go to church, but I don't really believe it, I don't live it, I'm not Jesus incarnate. As a matter of fact, those of us that even are legit Christians are still kind of weird. Still kind of off kilter, right? And we say stuff and we do stuff that's kind of messed up. So I'm gonna be talking a lot and kind of juxtaposing back and forth ways to bring change that is good and healthy and ways to bring change that is not so good. But for a moment as we begin, I wanna talk a little bit about the idea of let's dream together if we did it right. What if every true believer, and, and once again, I can't answer for people that are not truly following the Lord. Let's say every true believer of Jesus, every disciple was really being Christ-like. Not just talking about it, but like living it. What if we were all on fire and we were like, man, I'm all in, let's go, Jesus, here I am, send me. I'm gonna be your body here in the world today. What would happen to our society if we did that? I think a number of things would change, do you? I think first of all, tons more people would get saved. Why? Because most people in America know a Christian, but that Christian's life is not sufficient for them to make any change. It's just an interesting factoid. I know a Christian. Well, if you knew a hardcore Christian, it might have impact on your life. Does that make sense? Another thing I think that would probably change, more glory to God. If we were really being Jesus, people would see the power flowing through our lives and say, wow, I may not be a Christian, but man, sure looks like there's something going on there. God must be good. And his name is highlighted. Another one, I truly believe there would be a literal reduction in destructive behaviors in our society. I'm talking about less substance abuse, less teen pregnancy, less abortions, less divorce, less incarceration, less crime. Why? Because so many self-destructive behaviors have to do with people trying to fill a hole in their heart. Why wouldn't I use... I'm not valuable. Do you understand that concept? Okay, well, once again, as the Christian church, we have something that fills that hole. Why are you assuming they would operate any different? If we do not share with them the nobility of being made in the image of God, if we are not sharing with them that there is a loving God who sees through their faults and their flaws, if we, if we could really share that there's a possibility of them finding meaning 
and that their life could come alive. If we were truly ministering to our fellow people around us, coworkers, friends, whatever it is, students, if we were truly talking about hope, I feel like a lot of people wouldn't feel the need to destroy themselves in the same way. I believe that there would be greater spiritual freedom as people are set free from the bondage of the enemy. If Christians were out there moving in their power, I think that there would be greater peace and joy. I think that there would be a better reputation of the church's name. I just think it'd be different. And I think sometimes maybe we need to dream and live into that dream, that it does make a difference. Too often we're so focused on ourselves just getting through life. Man, I just gotta pay my bills. I gotta figure out whether or not I have a significant other. I gotta, I gotta kind of move through and make sure I got, I got a job and I, and I have a house. And we're so caught up in us that we don't think about the bigger picture. Does society even care about what you're doing? Because if you don't have any impact on them, why should they? You're not making any difference for them. You're just living your own life. I always kind of wonder why people didn't like Jesus. Because in a sense, you go, why wouldn't you want a healer on your block, right? What a cool person to move into the neighborhood, right? Hey, my kid was skateboarding and fell on his head. Can you help him out? I'd love to. That sounds like a cool thing to have in your neighborhood. You got a healer. You're like, man, there's a, I, I certainly hear some weird sounds. I think uh, Bob is demon-possessed. Could you help him out? And they're just like, you gotcha, buddy. And, they, you know, and then all of a sudden, everything chills out. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you're like, man, we're a little low on bread. And he's like, I gotcha. You know, that kind of stuff, right? And, I mean, why wouldn't you want Jesus around? Like, he's like the nicest guy ever, and he's super loving. And, he, and you're like, why wouldn't you want a Jesus around? And, and then I began to think about it. He called the church the light of the world. Here's the problem with the light of the world. What if you're trying to hide in the darkness? Well, now that light is pretty irritating. You know what I mean? Like it's really hard to hide in the shadows when everything's bright. So a bunch of Christians are like, you wanna to go to church with me and we can talk about all of our problems? Do you wanna confess with me? No, I don't. I've been hiding from stuff my entire life. I certainly don't wanna hang out with you, you weirdo, right? And no one that is benefiting off the dysfunction of people is gonna appreciate a Christian movement that makes people healthy. There is no meth dealer that is like, more Christians, yeah. <laughs> Why, because you're kind of ruining the gig, dude. Like the more people are getting healed, the more people are getting healthy, the more people are having that hole filled in their lives, your business is going down because you're benefiting off the dysfunction of other people and God is about the restoration business. So yeah, even if we did everything right, there would still be an agitation because our goals and the goals of society aren't always aligned. Society says the highest value is the achievement of humans. Christianity says it's not really about us and it's more about God. Those are actually very different goals. So we're gonna achieve them in a very different way, right? And there's gonna be some class. But I truly believe if we did it like Jesus, it would matter. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. 
Powerful Christians shake the world. Powerful Christians shake the world. We've been talking about this year of power. Well, if you have the power of the Holy Spirit, you should be having some impact on the people around you. All right, so as we turn to our Bibles, would you take out your Bibles, Acts 19.21, Acts 19.21. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. It's page 928, 928 in those, Acts 19.21. Now, I wanna, I wanna talk about a scenario that went down recently, and I wanna kind of talk through some pieces with you. You guys, we recently had a harvest party. Anybody get to be a part of the harvest party? Anybody get to be a part of that? Yeah, a whole bunch of, there was about 2,300 of us, right? And it was just, it was so awesome. I mean, you had little kids, you know, dressed up in the cutest little ways, right? And they're fired up for candy and there's games for them. And there was corn dogs that took 45 minutes to get. And, and there was, you know, there was mediocre popcorn that took an hour to get. I mean, it was a really good time. You know what I'm saying? Like, nothing like standing in a line with your children, praise God. All right, so... So it was a super fun evening, and there's so many people from our community that came in from the houses around us. A lot of people I didn't even know and recognize. I got to have all these powerful conversations along the way, and so I was like, man, this is a really, really good night. Well, this is the first year we've ever had protesters. We had protesters, right? And when I say protesters in the plural, there was three. <laughs> but they had a megaphone. And they held up signs, and the signs were, you're terrible parents for letting your kids come here, and children, you're, you're celebrating the devil, and you should have no right to be here. And it was, they were yelling things at people, and, and they, they, were, they were personally, verbally not nice to our people. They were not, they were saying things that were, that had nothing to do with what they were protesting. They were saying mean things, right? And their spirit wasn't right. Now, let me be very clear, because I'm referring to them as bad guys, when in fact they are not bad guys because they disagree with us. Let's be real clear on that. We may be wrong, right? I mean, and in a moment, I'm going to talk through this whole scenario about what do we do with Halloween, right? But let's say they were right. I'm not saying that they are bad guys because they disagree. They may be right. The problem was the spirit in which they did it. Does that make sense? You can be right about a subject, but your behaviors or your attitude or your method may make it wrong, right? So, so let, me, let me talk about this for a moment because there's a lot of you that aren't quite sure what to do with Halloween. Now, if you struggle a little bit with Halloween, you're going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole because then you end up struggling with Easter because somehow it was a pagan festival and we have an eggs and bunnies and now it's fertility stuff and well, I thought it was about Jesus and he doesn't lay eggs, stuff like that. <laughs> then you end up with a problem with Christmas and trees are bad because they're Yule logs and if you remember, it all really came from this and right. So you're going to end up in a really weird rabbit hole if you go down there, but some of you live in that hole and and, and you're kind of like, I'm uncomfortable with all this stuff, man. Like, what the heck is going on with the church today, right? And we're having a harvest party, man. That's just, you're just a Halloween party with a different name. What are you talking about? <laughs> Try to hide it behind harvest. What are you doing? Right? Okay, so let's talk about it. There are two ways that people think about these things. And when I say these things, I'm saying things that can be seen one way or another. Things that have maybe a negative origin or a demonic origin, you would say, how do I want to view that? Okay, and there's two ways, and they can both be supported by Scripture. 
Okay? So I want to be clear on this. I'm not, I'm not casting uh, meanness towards anybody. I just want us to process it for a moment. Okay? So, for example, the one side says, I don't want to celebrate darkness. Like, uh, you know, they have Sam Hain and all the history, and it's a pagan thing. You know, the, the occult finds it as one of their, hol- their holy days, and I don't want to be given uh, candy to my kids, and they're dressing up. And the minute they dress up, they're taking on that identity and blah, 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 right? There's a lot of people that believe that, and their idea is, I don't want to help Satan do his job. Now, once again, that could absolutely be legitimate, Right? Okay, the other side of it is saying, whoa, 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 hold on. Satan's not a creator, he's a distorter. So he actually didn't make anything. He doesn't get any days. I'm not giving him any days. I'm not giving him any territory. I'm not giving him any room. I will take everything he plays with and I'm taking it back for Jesus. I refuse to allow him, oh dear, this is his night. I'm gonna be nervous tonight. Nope, that's not gonna work. I'm now gonna have a bunch of candy be all buzzed and maybe pray. (laughs) So my point is, is that I'm all excited about the idea of reclaiming and trying to say, no, 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 I'm not giving anything. The fact that my little one is going to dress up like Superman has absolutely no tie-ins to the occult. Okay, now that's the other version. So which one is accurate? I truly believe it is a 1 Corinthians 8 issue. Give you an example. 1 Corinthians 8 is where Paul was talking about food sacrificed to idols. Do you remember this? That back in the ancient pagan world, they would have this meat that a worshiper of a false god or goddess, which are really demons. Is that correct? Yeah, let's be real clear on that. So people would buy really expensive meat and they would offer it as an offering to this demon. Well, the demon's on a diet, he doesn't eat that much. And so they end up taking the rest of the meat and they sell it in the marketplace where everybody's buying their stuff. Well, Christians are walking by and they're like, dude, that's demon meat, right? And the other guy's like, no, it's not. It's not demon meat, it's fine meat, right? (laughs) We blessed it or whatever. They're just like, you know, after it's a little further away from the temple, it's fine, okay. And so what happened was, is the church was really struggling because some people had come out of that paganism and they're like, dude, I cannot eat this in a good conscience. It totally connects me back to that. Like, this is so weird. I don't want to buy that stuff because all it does is conjure memories of evil and negativity. I left that life behind. I don't want any part of that. And then other Christians are like, dude, I didn't grow up in that pagan environment. Man, meat is meat, it's fine. And Paul's like, dude, the meat's fine. And everyone's like, no, it's not. Okay, hold on. Where I think we should settle on a lot of these issues is I need you to be very self-aware. And I need you to look through on what your images are connecting it to. Because there could be something that is fine for one person and it's not good for you. There could be something that is very innocent for somebody else, but all your attachments and all your memories are importing meaning into it. If you came out of the occult, I'm gonna tell you right now, Halloween, it will take a while for it to have any joy because you're gonna look at it and say, I consider that evil to me and I don't want any part of it. 
that's okay. There are others that don't have any of those attachments. All they're thinking of is being playful and fun. It's the same thing like just because a secular house has a Christmas tree doesn't mean they're automatically Christians, right? You gotta think through it all the way. But if it is sin to you and it's drawing you somewhere, it's sin to you. You got that? So, but when we determine it for us, we don't put that on everyone else. We have to process through it and be good stewards of our souls, be good stewards of our bodies. Amen? Amen. So, once again, as we kind of go through this, we realize there are some people that think they're on the right side of a subject, maybe a complicated subject, but what if we're on the wrong side of it? There's some bad guys that know they're bad guys. And they would go out and they go, listen, I know it's probably not great what I'm doing. I get it. I shouldn't be doing this. I know I'm being rebellious. I know I'm in sin. That's one type of bad guy. The other type of bad guy is the one that has a self-righteousness about it and feels really, really great about what they're doing. Unfortunately, it's Christianity labels on good old-fashioned hate. And you end up finding out when you have hate in your heart, I don't care what label or t-shirt you're wearing, it's still hate. And it's still not okay. The problem with those two groups is the first group of bad guys know they need to repent. The second group thinks they are the best thing in the world and go to sleep very peaceful at night because they wear a Christian label. All I'm trying to tell you is we need to be self-aware. Sometimes we're fighting the wrong battles. Sometimes we're fighting the right battles in the wrong way. So we always need to be able to come back to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, where are my blind spots? What am I missing? You guys, I live in paranoia of blind spots. I'm always convinced I'm missing something, right? So I always have to read off other people and try to figure out, is there something I'm not seeing here? I just want you to be wise and to think through subjects and not just blindly go with what everybody else does. Does that make sense? All right, let's keep moving forward. Yeah, once again, Acts 19.21. So far in this series, we've been following the Apostle Paul on this uh, ministry time in Ephesus. He's been here almost three years. He's about to take off, but before he leaves, a riot happens. This is how it went. Go to verse 21. Now, after these events that we covered in last week's message, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia, which is just northern Greece, and pass through Achaia, which is just southern Greece, and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I also got to go to Rome. And having sent into northern Greece two of his helpers, Timothy, his protege, and another dude named Erastus, he himself stayed there in Ephesus for a little while longer. And about that time that we know to be A.D. 56, there arose no disturbance concerning the way. Okay, pause. That is a hippie way of saying Christianity was causing problems, right? Because they would always talk about, dude, you part of the way. Word. Okay, and you're like, okay, this is ridiculous. Can you just say Christianity? Thank you. Before we started using that term, the way was a, kind of the best descriptor, the way of Jesus Christ. Well, the way that Paul was doing in Jesus Christ was causing a lot of problems. All right. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, we'll find out. Verse 24. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines for the fake goddess Artemis, 
brought no little business to the other craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul guy has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods that are made with human hands are no gods at all. And there's danger, not only this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess, goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. She may even be deposed of her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Okay, pause. He's leading a mob. If you've ever led a mob, you probably already know this. If you don't know how to lead a mob, this is a 101 class in how to lead a mob. You might want to take some notes. All right, first, buy pitchforks. Number two, get a gathering place, all right? So Demetrius, he ends up saying, I am losing so much cash because of this ridiculous guy, Paul the Apostle, and I'm not having it. So he grabs all his other buddies that are in the same thing. He's like, dude, how's your bottom line? It's suffering. Yeah, mine too. Look at the trajectory. Ever since this Paul guy shows up in town, our stocks are just plummeting. This is ridiculous. This guy is out there and he's like, oh, they're not really gods. If they're not really gods, nobody wants to buy our stuff. Okay, so this guy is ruining it. Now, if you want to lead a mob, they're very easy to lead as long as you keep touching on people's fear and their passions. So he's going to hit money and religion. Those are your two big dogs, right? So you can whip people into a fury really fast with money or religion, okay? So he grabs them both. So he starts out and he's like, man, Paul's ministry is ruining our stuff. Notice Paul never attacked them directly. What he did was he was so focused on what Jesus was about, he dismantled the system on which they were hanging, and it broke. Okay, I'm a huge fan of what's called the dismantle method. Anybody ever heard of that? Nope, you haven't, because I just made it up. <laughs> the dismantle method is what Jesus and Paul did, which was instead of talking about surface issues, they went to the deep root cause. So they would not attack something up top, they would not attack the people, they would hit the ideology, go all the way down, pull that out, and then that structure would collapse. For example, Paul and Jesus never directly attacked slavery. What they did was talk about the nobility of the Imago Dei. They talked about the fact that people are equal and that they all have value in God's sight. And when they began to preach the truth of our identity in Christ, it pulled the foundation under and slavery ultimately had to collapse because it couldn't be sustained. Jesus never led a political revolution. He never ran for office. He never picketed anybody. What he did was talk so heavily about the new kingdom. He talked so heavily about identity. He talked so heavily about these things that his followers ultimately created political movements that began to pull apart society. That's the dismantle method. You go deeper. You're not attacking the people. You end up attacking the ideology that supports it. Does that make sense? Okay, I wanna talk about something very sensitive for a moment. And so I need you to kind of be with me and give me as much grace as you can, patience, because I think you're gonna understand it at the end. I don't want you to jump to any conclusions about what I'm about to say. I wanna talk about the issue of abortion. 
Abortion is a very controversial and very sensitive issue. So here's what I wanna talk about. People have asked me throughout all the years of my ministry, Pastor Lance, why don't you speak about abortion more clearly as an evil from the pulpit? As a matter of fact, I've had people that have loudly left the church because I did not. They believe that if I was truly a good pastor, that I would rail against the evils of abortion from the pulpit. Now, I have an answer for you. There are actually two primary reasons why I do not do that, because it's actually intentional, right? Number one, it's the wrong medium to talk about a complicated subject. So for example, abortion in our society has now been politicized. And when you politicize something, you ruin the ability to talk about nuance, you ruin the ability to talk about complication and complexity. Not only that, but I'm on a pulpit, which means I'm speaking to a thousand people at a time who come from various backgrounds and everybody needs to have a different part of the conversation. So how am I going to cover that and say, well, not only are we going to cover the word of God, but we're also going to do this side issue. And in 15 minutes, I'm somehow going to solve the issue. That's the wrong venue. What you're doing is you're opening a bunch of cans that you cannot close and people are all triggered and move on and it doesn't help anybody. That's number one. Number two reason why I do not talk about it more is that it involves two classes of people that I am sworn by God to protect, women and babies. And society tells me I have to choose between the two, and I will not do that. I refuse to decide between the two. Why? Because both are precious in the sight of God. Therefore, I'm going to defend women, and I'm going to defend babies. That's how it's going to work. But in order for me to talk you through that, we got to get in the weeds. We got to get down into, well, in this circumstance, it's this, and you got to watch this one. Because here's the problem. If I'm up here talking about the, the preciousness of newborns, and all of a sudden I have 130 women who that's part of your story that you chose to have an abortion, and you're crushed by it, and you're trying to heal from it, you're trying to have Jesus restore that part of you, and I'm up here railing about how evil you are, did that not just completely crush and condemn you? So how do I minister to the women I care so deeply about? How at the same time am I trying to say, listen, I want to dismantle the abortion culture. I don't, of course I believe in the preciousness of life. Of course I believe that the whole idea of abortion is brutal and terrible. I've never said otherwise. But it's complicated because it involves human beings. So I'm not a big fan of people that have methods where they're carrying scary signs and they're using a bullhorn of condemnation. I'm much more the guy that would want to dismantle it by talking about the value of life, the value of children, talking about giving support and people allowing to have education, not manipulation. I'm much more interested in empowerment and showing people the way that God wants to do it. But I have to go deep because the surface means that I may win the argument, but I lost the person. And ultimately for me, I want all the people safe and saved and then dismantle wickedness deep down here. Does that make sense? All right, praise God.
So this gentleman, uh, he's leading this mob and he's like, we're gonna lose all our money, oh my gosh, now we're gonna lose all our religion and everything else. And the guys are like, oh, well, we can't handle that, that's terrible. Okay, did anybody know anything about Artemis, this goddess, this fake demonic goddess thing that was there? It was a huge deal. Just so you know, there was an original temple to Artemis or Diana in the beginning. It was burned down the night Alexander the Great was born, okay? Now, this is really weird because they ended up later saying, well, the only reason it got burned down, and it was an arsonist, by the way, he said, I want to burn it down so everyone would remember my name. The problem is I don't remember his name. And he burned this thing down, and they said, well, the only reason it got burned down is Artemis was too busy helping out with the birth of Alexander the Great, so she couldn't possibly be at home, right, protecting her temple. Okay, now, when it burned down on his birthday, when he got older, he found out about this. And they're like, it's your fault. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I feel terrible about that. He rebuilt the temple, and that's what became one of the seven wonders of the world, okay? He put so much money into it to try to honor her. Okay, now, she went through quite the transformation. When Greek first put her out there, like, oh, she's the daughter of Zeus, the the twin sister of Apollo, and blah, 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 blah. And look at her, oh, she's so athletic. She's out there, and she's doing hunting, and she's protecting, and she's doing dancing with the fairies. Then all of a sudden, at some point, it shifted over to the one the Ephesians had, which is quite different. This lady is wearing a very colorful skirt. However, her midsection is covered with bulbs all over. And you're like, well, what are those? You have two choices. They're either many breasts or they are bull testicles. Your choice. (laughs) Dwell on it. Think it through. Okay, why? Because she became the goddess of fertility So the idea was anything that had to do with fertility, it was like an overreach. And so that's why you begin to realize how much of the debauchery and everything was tied up in their worship and why Ephesus was in such bad shape. It's a rough place. So they're like, oh my goodness, we gotta protect her. All right, pick it up in verse 28, they go public. When they heard this, they were enraged and cried out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. They rushed together into the local theater, dragging with them two of Paul's companions, Gaius and Aristarchus. But when Paul wanted to go into the riot, his disciples wouldn't let him. Even some of the Roman leaders who were friends of his urged him, do not go into the theater. But everybody in the theater was in chaos. Some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. Most of them didn't even know why they had come together. This is one of those, I don't know what I'm yelling about. And you're like, what is the problem? I don't know. And you're like, are you mad? Yeah, about what? I don't know. You're like, okay, you're a terrible rioter, by the way. Verse 33, some of the crowd prompted the Jewish leader Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd because he knew whatever happens to Christians blowbacks on the Jewish people, right? But when they recognized he was a Jew and anti-Jewish sentiment was high in the Roman Empire, for about two hours, they shouted him down saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours. Can we be clear? If we all riot... At any point, if we cause a Bridgeway riot, I will only shout for about 10 minutes. I just, I feel like it's boring and I'm not doing it. And I will probably go to 15 minutes if you put music behind it. Okay, praise God. Other than that, I just think it's a stupid idea. We're not doing it. Okay, moving on. Go to verse 35. 
But when the town clerk quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know the city of the Ephesians is a temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Anybody have a word for that? Meteorite, praise God. Verse 36, seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and his friends have a complaint, the courts are open, there's leaders to handle it, let them bring charges there. But if you seek anything further as a group, you better settle it in a regular assembly, for we really are in danger of being charged by Rome with rioting today, and there's no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he said these things, he dismissed them and they went home. Huh, what happened? Well, remember, any Roman territory, the leaders had one job. What's your job? Keep it quiet. These guys led a mob, and he's like, dude, if you bring Rome in here and they shut us down, that's on you. Tired of this nonsense. They never even attacked you. Now, here's what's so powerful about it. Paul's ministry was so impactful is it made a real difference at their bottom line. But when they went to go charge them, they couldn't find anything hateful about them. Whatever we do as a church, and does there need to be changes in society? Yes. Are there things that we should be passionate and ferocious about? Yes. Are there things that are absolutely anti-God happening on our watch? Yes, I'm not telling you they're not, but if we match hate for hate, we lost the greater war. If at the end of the day, they can point back to the church and say, you had an evil intention, we lose all ground we just gained. There is a way to bring change. There is a way to advance the kingdom and shut down wickedness. We just have to do it the right way with the right heart. And that way, at the end of everything, God is glorified. If we win a battle, but God's name is in the mud, we didn't win anything. You guys, if we are the body of Christ, may we act like the body of Christ, amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Praise you, God, for a wonderful, wonderful day walking through your word. I just pray right now as the prayer team comes up here, Lord, would you anoint this altar? Would you anoint it for breakthrough? That God, for us, many of us, we had a lot of things stir up in our spirit in this message today. God, that things unsettled us and made us revisit things and question things, and are we on the right team, and are we doing the right actions, and and Lord, where do I stand on this? And why am I so mad about that? And God, it's a mess. So I just pray that you would give us clarity, that Holy Spirit, you would just move through the body of Christ right now. Everyone that can hear my voice. Lord, there's areas we need to be soothed and areas where our passion actually needs to be rechanneled and not done away with, just refocused. So God, I pray that you would manage us in the beautiful way you do and that all of our response would be yes, sir. We honor you, we praise you in the name of Jesus.
Amen. Have a wonderful